0: continue our series we started uh in early june we've called when the Wall- favorite parts about um seeing movies are the outtakes I'm, you know what i'm talking about the outtakes how many of you know what i'm talking about how many of you know what an outtake is all right it's kind of it's that time where somebody couldn't remember their line and, you know they recorded it and it wasn't part of the movie because they messed up and then sometimes at the end of the movie they'll show all those all the mess-ups i love the mess-ups because you'll have this incredibly serious scene, intense scene that's supposed to be one, one mood, one tone, one thing. And then a person will just break out and laugh. And you go, man, that, that's not how that scene felt when I watched it in the movie. And so I love to watch the outtakes. It's, it's kind of where when a person... Um, feels the wrong thing at the wrong time. Have you ever felt the wrong thing at the wrong time? It, it, you, you have a memory of that? You ever felt the wrong thing at the wrong time? It just didn't fit? Uh, when, I, when I was a kid, and I suppose if I'm honest even now sometimes, sometimes my giggle box will just get stirred up. Anybody, anybody know what a giggle box is? Am I using words you're familiar with? My giggle box will kind of just get going, and usually it's at the wrong time, like when you're not supposed to laugh, when things are sometimes the most serious like, I, I lose it, uh, that's not really, and, and, it, and it's not helpful, to be honest with you, because people don't know why you're laughing, and they think you're laughing at them, and, and all this. When I was in school, as a kid, I'd get in trouble, and the teacher, you know, West, back there, you, why are you laughing? You were, Nothing's funny. Oh, and when they said nothing's funny, it just sent me into a rage. It was so funny when they'd say things like, nothing's funny, and their face would get all like that, and it just sent me in, into hysterics. And uh, it was not helpful in school. It was not helpful in those times. And so my giggle box would just get going. I can remember, we went to a little church, and I can remember our pastor was, um, was doing something. And, and he was a, a very dramatic guy. I mean, he was overly dramatic, one of, the, one of the many pastors we had when I was a kid. He was a young guy, I think it was his first church. And he was telling something about some kind of celebration we're going to have. And he was making all these faces, and he was doing all this. And I can remember sitting there. You ever, you ever start to laugh so hard that, that, that your body wiggles like jello? You know, you just go limp. You don't have any strength in your body. And I was just rocking in the pew like this, just laughing, trying to hide it, look down. And, and I could just feel it coming up. And all of a sudden, I let out this scream of laughter, Wah! like that, when I was maybe 10 years old. And I'm just going to tell you, in a church of 30 people, there's no way to hide that. It's not, it's not going to be like, oh, oh, oh. It's, there's no way to hide that. And so I took off running. I literally panicked and took off running and I ran across to the Sunday school but I don't know what it is. And I went in the bathroom just crying, laughing. And, and I put water on my hot face, my little hot red face. And I tried to cool off. And I came back and I was so embarrassed. But look, let this be a lesson to you. You laugh at the preacher, you become one. See how that works? So let that be a lesson to you. Don't be laughing at me today. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, this is what happens. The people feel the wrong thing at the wrong time. Now, if you have your Bible, Nehemiah 8, verse 9 and 10, we'll look at it together in a few minutes. This summer, we've been, uh, if you're a guest today or maybe if you've been out traveling or something, let me just catch you up for a minute. We've been studying the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the assistant to the king of the world, who's the king of Persia, 50 million people in the great Persian empire. Nehemiah is the assistant, and he is a Jew, not a Persian, but he's found favor with God and favor with the king, and he's become the assistant. The king's given him permission to return to Jerusalem, which is the capital city of the Jewish nation, and to, and to help uh, in, the, in the rebuilding of the city because it had been decimated by the Babylonians and most of the people have been carted off into slavery. So, Nehemiah returns, and he's now the governor of Jerusalem. And uh, that brings us uh, to, to Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, you've heard the phrase, um, uh, timing is everything. You familiar with this phrase, timing is everything. That is certainly true in chapter 8. There is no way you will understand the power of what's written in Nehemiah chapter 8 unless you understand the timing. So we've called this series The Walls Are Gone because Jerusalem has fallen under the judgment of God because of their sin. The Babylonians have come in. God withdrew his hand and let Jerusalem have, let the Jews have what they wanted. They didn't want God. They wanted something else. So God let them have it. You can have what you want. And they got what they wanted. And the Babylonians came in and took them over, took them off to slavery, flattened the city, and so now Nehemiah's back. God is doing a great work of renewal and restoration in the city. And the walls are, we said the walls are gone. By chapter 8, the walls are not gone anymore. The walls have been completely rebuilt. The gates are set in place. And this is about three or four days after the walls are completed. Uh, remember from an earlier message we shared, uh, about a, 100 about a years before this, they had tried to rebuild the walls before and failed. But so, so this is an unbelievable achievement, an unbelievable accomplishment. Now, if you think about the way cities worked, Jerusalem had walls around it that were completed that fortified the capital city. But that's not where everybody lived. It's almost like somebody says, "Where are you from?" Birmingham. Yeah, but where do you live? You know, Pelham or Hoover or whatever. There, there were suburbs all around Jerusalem and towns and villages that scattered around it that made up the Jewish nation. So everyone had settled in their towns, and thousands upon thousands of people had gathered in Jerusalem for one of the most important days of the entire year, the Festival of Tabernacles. The Festival of Tabernacles is where Nehemiah 8 starts. The people have gathered, the wall is done, the festival is about to begin. The Festival of Tabernacles in the Jewish calendar, it would kind of be like New Year's Eve to us. This is a day of celebration. It was in the fall, September, October-ish. It was harvest time. All the year's work had produced wheat, grain, whatever. And now what they were doing is they had gathered in the fruit of all the year's work. And the festival was a way to celebrate the goodness of God and say, God, you've provided for us another year. Look what you've done. This is good. And so it was a celebration of the goodness of God and the provision of God. It was an eight-day festival. It started on the Sabbath, which was a day of rest and worship. It ended on the Sabbath, which was a day of rest and worship. And then in between uh, was, was the entire festival. So it was a time of celebration and joy and music, and eating, and fellowship, and, and nobody was alone. It was like going to a New Year's Eve party. There, was, there were party horns, and hats, and confetti, and, and all of that stuff. Barbecue, ribs, what do you like? It was all kind of stuff like that. In is a southern celebration. And, and on the first day of the festival, the people come to Ezra the priest. Remember, Ezra and Nehemiah are, were originally, in Hebrew, one book. And so Ezra is here. In this setting, in this scene, the people come to Ezra before the first day of the festival and say, on the first day of the festival, we want you to read the Bible to us. Uh, And the part of the Bible they had was the law, the Old Testament, those things, which was the history of their people, of how they interacted with God, how they had a relationship with God, how God took them uh, through the wilderness into the promised land. All of that was there. And so... They said, read to us the Bible on the first day of the festival. So they gathered at daybreak. This was a sunrise service. Thousands of people from all over Jerusalem are gathered. It's a a festival. It's a feast. It's celebrating the, the goodness and the ingathering of all the fruit that God has given us. And they gather together at daybreak, it's a sunrise service, and Ezra reads the Bible until noon for six hours. Now the reason that that worked is because there was no Pokemon Go back then, or there was nothing that would would burn their attention span so they could actually listen that long. You think you've been to a long service? Try six hours. When they heard the words of the Bible, simultaneously, Ezra would read, And the spiritual leaders and Ezra would explain what it meant. And simultaneously, thousands of people began to cry and to weep, and their hearts were broken when they heard the Bible read because they realized how far away from God they were. Now that brings us to verse 9 and 10. That's the background. Here's what happens in verse 9 and 10. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law, And the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Now, if your concept of holiness is legalism and drab and God's mad at you and anger and judgment, you are are going to be shocked by what we're about to read. Don't weep and don't cry and don't grieve and don't mourn because this day is holy. Now watch. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go! Enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day, here it is again, is holy to our God. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now that's... I, I've, never, I've never heard anybody, I've been a part of the church almost my whole life, and I've never heard anybody say, stop crying, now's not the time to be broken over your sin. Today is a holy day, and we're going to party. I've never heard anybody say that. And I bet most of you, if not all of you, haven't either. But Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites and the spiritual leaders of Israel were saying, whoa, whoa. Time out. Stop that. Stop that crying. Are they saying that we shouldn't turn away from our sin? No. They're saying now's not the time. There is a time, and now's not the time. This is kind of like when we feel the wrong thing at the wrong time. How did thousands and thousands of people miss this moment of joy? Well, if you've got something to write with, let me give you a few thoughts. How do we miss The moments of joy. The God-ordained, planned, scheduled moments of joy. How do we miss them? Number one, we don't know the Bible. A lot of the exiles didn't understand the Bible because they had been carted off into slavery, and many of them were probably not even born in Israel. They were born in in Persia. They were born somewhere in a foreign land. And being raised there, they did not learn Hebrew, they learned Aramaic. So most of the exile in the Bible was written in Hebrew. And so the exiles that had returned home, Ezra's reading the Bible, he's bringing out the holy book, he's bringing out the law, he's reading the Bible in Hebrew. They don't even know what he's saying. They're saying, I'm not from around here. Somebody help me understand what's going on here. Now, it wasn't like today when you have your pick from dozens and dozens of translations. Furthermore, hundreds of of, uh, uh, languages the Bible today's been... The Bible's been translated today into 550 languages, the whole Bible. It's parts of the Bible have been translated into 1,300 other languages. That is not then. The Bible's in one language and you know it or you don't get to read the Bible and that's it. And so the people come home and the ones that speak Aramaic don't even know what's going on. And the reason, now here, why, were they, why did they learn Aramaic? Very important. Why were they carted off into slavery? Because they turned their back on God. Now watch, this is always what happens when we turn away from God, we become slaves to something else, and we learn a new language. You will learn the language of the world when you turn your back to God. If you were born and raised and you don't have a Christian background, you don't know a Christian language, you know a different language. So everything sounds very... I promise you the person in this room who's furthest away from God, I don't know who it is, but I promise you whoever it is, you are having the strangest experience this morning. What you have heard is strange. What you see is strange. The way people around you act is strange. This is strange, strange, strange. If the language of TV and media and culture and uh, sports and marketing slogans and video games and movies is more familiar to you than the truth of the Bible, you're going to miss a whole lot of moments of joy. Because it is the truth in God's Word that help us find the moments of joy. So last Sunday... Uh, we have a fantastic services together. Man, uh, big city kids ministry was incredible. Epic middle. We had powerful worship times last Sunday. Great service here. Pastor Mark uh, talked about uh, Nehemiah chapter 7, 6. And it was uh, fantastic. So we go home, we eat lunch, uh, we get settled. Uh, finally, after a few hours of getting things done... I sit down. Our youngest son is off to spend the night with somebody. Our oldest son is on his way back to Atlanta to, to go to class the next day. And I sit down and I say, oh, in, the, in the complexity of our, our family's life, I don't sit down much. And I sat down and I said, I think, I'm, I think instead of trying to catch up on some stuff I'm behind on, I think what I'm going to do is just rest. And about 10 minutes later, I get a text, and my son texts me and says, I had a wreck. What, well, what, what? Don't text me. Call me. <laughs> what? Are, you, are you okay? Where are you? I'm, I'm on the Georgia-Alabama line. What, what, are, are you okay? Are you hurt? I think I'm okay. Oh, God, I think I'm okay. What is that? <laughs> you, you, you've been in an accident. You're traumatized. And so I, so I get my shoes on. I'm on my way. I drive over there, drive to the Georgia-Alabama line. I pick him up and go through all of this stuff. And it was, you ever just had one of those moments where it, you say, if I could pick the thing that would make our life the most complicated right now to happen, it would be that, and then that happens? You ever had one of those moments? That's what happened. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and so the, the good news is 100% safe, walked out of the accident, not a scratch on him, Cars die, you know, cars go away. We won't even remember it, but what we will remember is if he was hurt and he's not. That's the good news. So I brought him home, got him settled. Hey, man, why don't you just come home and rest? Let's, let's just make sure you didn't have an impact somehow and you don't know it. And so we did all that. And, and as the complexity of the issue just wore on me and wore on me and wore on me, I thought, and he texts me, he says, what are we going to do? And I said, I got to be honest with you, I don't really know what to do. This is very, very complicated. It's complicated our life, and I don't know the end. I don't know what to do. And so I just begin to, uh, how, how would we say it? Uh, wh- what would be the right Greek word for it? I begin to complain. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I think I might have thought a few curse words. I didn't say any, if that helps anybody. I don't know if that's the same sin, if you just think them. But I was like, <laughs> pound sign, exclamation point, star. I just, was, I just was wired up. It was a long night. I was tired. I laid there. I said, oh, God, please, please help me do something. And so, so the, I said, I don't know what we're going to do. You're, you've been in an accident. You rest. There's nothing we do today. Let's just, let's just chill out, get everybody settled back. About, about 9 o'clock that night, we got settled back down. Uh, and our youngest son's sugar was all messed up. It was just a long night. So I got up the next morning. and said, okay, we're going to figure out what to do. So I remembered this verse in James chapter 1. Last summer, we did a, a series called All In from the book of James. I remember James chapter 1, 5, when it says, if any of you lack wisdom, you say." so I, so I knew what I was going to do. I said, okay, we got the family to the dining room table. We get the Bible out, and I say, listen, there's this verse that we need to read that's going to help us. And so what I was thinking is, uh, this is going to be a great opportunity for our whole family to see how God helps you and, and all of this. And, and they really need that. So let's put the Bible out there. And, 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 and here's what the verse says in James 1:5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it'll be given to you. Now, for some reason or another, when I read that verse, my, I was trying to read that verse, but for some reason, I started reading at the wrong place. And I started reading verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I said, okay, it's not what I was looking for. I want you to help them. (laughs) And And I said, okay, all right. That's for me. And I looked at my family and said, if I'm honest with you, I'm having such a hard time calling this joy. I'm like really struggling. For all of those of you who say, I don't know why when pastors sin, they don't ever just repent. Today's your day. I repented. And my repentance was over my lack of joy. And I said, God, I thought, I'm really struggling with this thing and calling this pure joy. Couldn't we call it polluted joy? Could we, is there something, work with me here. Can we negotiate? No negotiation. So I said, my first prayer was, God, I'm sorry that I don't see things the way that you do. And I'm sorry that I'm not seeing the joy in your activity In this moment, I'm having trouble considering this joy. Now, look, that can feel very like not sympathetic on God's part, but can I tell you what I found out about those moments? It's not that my feelings are unimportant to God, it's just that they may be misleading me. Your feelings are always important to God, but it doesn't make them true. Your feelings may not be telling the truth, but they're still important. God still still values the grief that you go through and the things that you feel. And when I missed a moment of joy, it was the Bible that helped me find it. We miss so many moments of joy because we don't know the Bible. Look, every return to God is a return to God's Word. And that's exactly what's happening in Nehemiah 8. The people heard the Bible and they wept because they saw how far they had drifted from God and His Word and then the Bible was bringing them back. Now, what if you're here this morning and you say, what do you mean don't know the Bible? Oh my goodness, what would it mean to know the Bible? What does that mean to have it memorized? What does it mean? No, no, no. It means read it. Let me give you the best advice I can give you in regards to your relationship to the Bible. This is going to be revolutionary so you might want to write it down. Read the Bible. Don't wait till you find the perfect plan, don't wait till you find the right place to start, don't wait till you understand more, don't wait till you get a Bible degree or theology degree, don't wait till you understand it. Read the Bible. And, and if the way you're reading it is too hard for you to keep doing, don't do it that way. Read it a different way. Read it an easier way. Start in the book of James. Start in the book of John. Start in Psalms. Start in Proverbs. Read the Bible. Read a verse a day. There's not too little you can read. <laughs> we make it so complicated. Just get on some kind of plan where you can keep reading the Bible some regularly. That's it. That's that's really the whole thing. Why do we miss moments of joy? Because we don't know the Bible. Here's the second one. Why do we miss moments of joy? Because we offer God a token. You know what a token is? It's where we check the box, mail it in, just sort of participate. Kind of engage a little. We don't go all in. A token is a gesture. It's a motion in the right direction. It looks the part, but it's only a percentage of the reality. When I was about 12 years old, my dad used to uh, cut grass on the side some to raise a little extra money. And I would go with him and, and help work in the yard and whatever. And once we were cutting a yard and this uh, lady, who were, we were, this older lady, we were cutting her grass. And she said, hey, she called me over there while he was bit Yes, Hey, do you see all that over there? If you rake all that up, all the grass, all those leaves up, I'll pay you if you rake it up. I thought, wow, I'll get a chance to make some That would be incredible. So it was almost 100 degrees. I still remember because it hurt. I still remember. And I went over there and sweated and raked and cleaned and got all that stuff for about two or three hours doing all this. And I came back and I said, is that what you, yeah, that's what, And so she said, hold on, I'll be right back. And she walked inside and she came back out and she gave me a quarter. Now look, I don't know how old you think I am, but a quarter was not much money then either. Hey, like look, this is 1943. Quarter, You're killing me here. You know what that is? That's a token. And this is what had happened to Israel. They were just going through the motions. They were offering God a token, but they weren't really engaging with our whole heart. And it was obvious, watch this, in the way they celebrated the festival of tabernacles. Remember I told you timing was everything. There was two parts to the festival. One part of the festival was we're going to celebrate the goodness of God and how he, how he produced all this All this for us, all this food and all these supplies. Look what God has provided for us this year. That's part of the festival. But here's the second part of the festival of tabernacles they were supposed to build makeshift shelters and they were supposed to live in them during the week. And the reason that they were supposed to do that is because that's how their ancestors lived for 40 years in the wilderness. For 40 years, they great-great-grandparents, when God broke them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them to the promised land, in between slavery in Egypt and the promised land was 40 years of wilderness life, and their shoes didn't wear out, and God dropped manna from heaven and provided for them, and the festival of tabernacles was about remembering the goodness of God and seeing his people through the wilderness and providing food and shoes and shelter, and they were supposed to go live in those tabernacles. Uh, that they built outside those little, those little tents because their ancestors had no home, they had no land, they, they, they had no identity, and God had delivered them from slavery and He was their provider and it was a reminder of all of that. So the people would symbolically live in these makeshift shelters each year to remind them that God is good and the same God that provided for their ancestors is going to provide for Him. Now this is the part of the festival the people had quit celebrating. Don't know why, don't know when. But the walls were gone, the people were far away from God, and this part of the festival had probably faded out over time. Now look, here's the thing. When you and I's relationship with God becomes an occasional check-in, when it becomes let's, let's, let's serve God enough To ease our conscience or become a moral blanket, but not really change. When we offer God part of our heart, what we lose out on is the moment of joy. That's what we miss. (laughs) We miss moments of joy. Whether you've been a Christian for a few months or you've been a Christian for years, think about it like this Are you living up to what you know? You can't take a person who's been a Christian for six months or or two years and say you ought to be somehow experiencing and living at this relationship level with God that somebody that's been for 40 years. You can't do that. You can't compare to each other. You have to say, am I living up to what I know? Are, are, Are you living your relationship with Jesus and the knowledge you have? Or are you offering Him some small percentage of that? When you just offer God some small percent of yourself, what we miss is joy. We miss joy. The joy of the Lord, Nehemiah said, is your strength. Come back to your strength. Come back to your home. Come back to your heart. So why do we miss the moments of joy? We don't know the Bible. We give God a token. And here's the last one. We misunderstand God's heart. This is a big one. We misunderstand God's heart. I'm convinced that not one of us is immune to misunderstanding God's heart. None of us, not one. I'm not, you're not, none of us are. We all have a tendency to misunderstand God's heart. Part of the reason is we've all seen and suffered from the hands of misused authority. We've watched corruption at the highest level. We've all felt the personal sting of of a relationship gone bad. And, and all of that. And when God says, hey, I got an idea. Bring me your sin. <laughs> you sure about that? Because I don't know if you know what I've done. Bring me your sin. Are you sure? Because I'm, I'm, there's some things that I've said and there's some things that I've thought and there's some things that have happened, and I'm not so sure. Bring me your wound, bring me your pain. How do I know when I open that up that I won't just get hurt again? How do I know I can trust you? And it's so hard for us on an emotional and psychological and relational level to not think that God wants to punish us, that he's mad at us, he caught us red-handed, he finally got us in the church building, he finally got us in the service, and what he wants more than anything is us right up front, in front of everybody, embarrassing us and shaming us and rejecting us and showing everybody how bad we've been. Everybody's had that feeling. Everybody's had that thought about God at some point, whether you would say it that way or not, that he wants, to, he wants to pay us back for what we've done. But look, look, Ezra, Nehemiah, and the spiritual leaders of Israel are saying, yes, let's repent. Let's turn away from our sin. Let's be honest about our sin. Let's do deep self-examination. Let's examine our own hearts. But before we do any of that, Let's get the motive of God right. Let's get God's heart right. Today is not a day of weeping. It's not a day of mourning. It's not a day of repentance even. It is the festival of tabernacles. And on that day is the day we celebrate the goodness of God for providing for us. Furthermore, four days ago, the wall was completed that hadn't been rebuilt in 150 years, and it was rebuilt in 52 days. And do you know why? Because God's better than you think, and he's got a plan, and in his providence, he allowed Nehemiah to rise to second in command of Persia and to come into Jerusalem and rebuild the city and rebuild the walls. I just bet God's working on some stuff in your life today, and you don't even know what it is yet. But he's good. And if you doubt his goodness, you'll miss the joy. If you doubt his heart, you'll miss the joy. God is refreshing and restoring and renewing. So here's what I'm wondering. What, if we doubt God's heart, if we doubt God's motive, what is God, what does God take joy in? What makes God happy? Have you ever thought about that? So there's a word in scripture called delight. I wish we had time to unpack it. But I I, I wanted to know. So I went and looked in the Bible and said, What causes God to delight? What causes God to be happy? Here it is His work, those who wait for God, faithfulness. God delights in faithfulness, God delights in His own creation. God takes joy in wisdom, He loves people who are innocent. Who, who don't hurt one another, a blameless walk, he took delight, the New Testament says, in his son, this is my son who I am well pleased, and he delighted in him. Obeying the voice of the Lord. You know God loves it when you just do what he wants you to do. Loving kindness and justice and righteousness, God delights in But look, here's one I found that's incredible. God delights in you. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. God sings a song over you. God wrote a song about you. He sings it over you. He loves you. There's a melody in God's heart about you. This is unbelievable. If we're going to have a time of turning away from sin, let's first remember why. We're not turning away from sin because God's mad, and we're not turning away from sin because sin's bad. We're turning away from sin because God's good. We got something better to turn to. The festival of tabernacles was important because it reminded the Jews that the same God that provided for their ancestors was providing for them. The festival of tabernacles is important to Christians because it reminds us that we are like the people of Israel. Watch this. God has delivered us from the slavery of sin and the old life but we're not home yet. We live in these temporary tabernacles that aren't permanent. Where, whatever home you're going to drive to when you get done with this, that's not your home. You're passing through. It's temporary. It's not eternal. It won't last. Your body won't last. But you do have a promised land that's coming. And the festival of tabernacles reminds us that one day we'll be in our permanent home. Now, now not only is the wall and the temple and the city being rebuilt and and the wall's done in chapter 8, but now the people's relationship with God is being rebuilt. I'm going to read a few more verses, verse 16 and 17. So here's what happened. All the leaders said, stop crying, stop weeping, and celebrate. Go to your homes, go to your families, go to your neighborhoods, go to your towns, kill whatever you got to kill, cook it right, eat and party. Because today's a day of joy. So, watch this. So, the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs. Uh, the, The construction, the architecture in Jerusalem at the time would have been flat roof. And so, most people, to get a breeze, would have built their little tent on the roof or in their courtyard. So so that's the picture we see. Uh, In the courts of the house of God, in the square by the water gate, and and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. Ho, this is a this is a celebration like Israel hadn't seen. And their joy was very great. Can you imagine how powerful this moment was to this city? Everywhere you looked, as far as your eye could see, were little, were little tents and little tabernacles and little shelters, little makeshift lean-tos on rooftops. Everywhere you would look. All over Israel. Can you imagine the message that that sent? The people are not partially engaged with God anymore. They are fully engaged with God. It, it would be like us waking up tomorrow morning... And and pulling up our phone and looking on Facebook and seeing pictures that people have begun to post pictures on Facebook because for some reason people in America were starting to come back to God and they were driving crosses into their yard and you would go by businesses and see crosses and you would go by capital buildings and see crosses and public buildings and see crosses. Can you imagine the joy that would happen if this country turned its heart back to God? Can you imagine what would happen if simultaneously people started to come back to God and. Just just post crosses everywhere that's what these people see that's how it looks they had lived in spiritual dryness and fear and they'd lived in slavery and bondage and after all these decades the long night is finally over the people are coming back to God and this would be like this would be like seeing that revelation in America of crosses or some Christian symbol being posted everywhere it would resonate so deeply this is what renewal is Renewal is rediscovering some things that we've drifted away from. It's like cleaning an old painting and finding some long-forgotten colors in it. We're just at the beginning of renewal. God, last fall, started a work of renewal in this church. And we're just at the beginning of it. We're seeing the beginning, the baby signs of it. We're seeing lost people find Jesus and found people find Jesus again. And it is joyful. (laughs) It is exciting. It is incredible to see what God's doing. So so here's the thing. James chapter 1, verse 2, I read that and God says to me, count the trials of life as joy. If you read to verse 4, he tells you why you should do that. Because joy gives you you the ability to persevere, and perseverance, as it does its work in you, makes you mature. Okay? So, why does God want you and I to count trials as joy? Because the only way you're going to become what God wants you to become is just going to take some strength for you to do that. And where are you going to get that strength from? The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Our worship team's coming, and we already sang this song, but I wanted to sing this song again. And I I wanted to read the words to you. Uh, We sang it during, during worship earlier, but I wanted to read the words to you because today's a day where what we heard earlier is exactly right. God is inviting you to himself. He's inviting you to turn away and to turn to him and to celebrate and, and to know his love. God so wants to reveal his love. God so wants to over overwhelm the fear and and the struggle we feel with the love of God. And when when all of Israel gathered together in Jerusalem and the people began to worship and sing and, and uh, celebrate together, there was great joy in that city. How strong do you think Israel was after the celebration? Now there was a time to turn away from sin. If you read chapter 9 there's a fast and we deal with sin and we deal with those things but we deal with them because we understand the goodness of God and we understand what He wants. He loves us cares about us he cares about what happens to you he sings a song over you so this song the joy of the lord is my strength we're going to sing it again can you put the words up i want you to see the words though the tears may fall my song will rise my song will rise to you though my heart may fail my song will rise my song will rise to you While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, I lift my eyes, I lift my eyes to you. Though the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in this heart, I will praise you, Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness, I'll dance. In the shadows, I'll sing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. When I cannot see you with my eyes, let faith arise to you. When I cannot feel your hand in mine, let faith arise to you. God of mercy and love, I will praise you, Lord. I just want to say something to you today. God is good. And today is a day where he invites us to celebrate his goodness. And, and go ahead and stand with me this morning. In just a minute, we're going to sing this song. And as we sing it together and you begin to celebrate the goodness of God, as you begin to put your eyes on Him and sing, I'm telling you, you are going to feel, uh, uh, you are going to feel strength come across this church. You are going to feel a, a celebration of the strength of God coming on you. The problems that look pretty big when you came in are going to look a lot smaller when you're done celebrating the goodness of God. So would you do that would just lift your hands for a minute before we even start the song and would you just begin to pray and say Lord you are good I declare today you are good in spite of what I feel in spite of what I see in spite of what I know in spite of what's going on in our world I declare today that God you are good you are good and you love me and you love us and you take joy in you take joy in forgiveness and you take joy in restoration and you take joy in In uh, in celebration, you take joy in forgiveness. You take joy in renewal. do you take joy in these things. And so today, Lord, we stand together and we sing. the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Say it with me. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Come on.